Well, good morning, everybody. You know, they say it's the most wonderful time of the year, don't they? Isn't it? I don't know. I want to know who they are and what their utopia is like because, you know, it's sometimes it feels like it's the wonderful time of the year where we can make room and, you know, bringing a tree into our house is super festive except when, you know, oh, it's two inches to the right and we, no, it's got to go back and we got to get it centered in the tree window and it's festive. It's good. You know, and making room for relatives to stay at your house, that's relatively fun, depending. And, and sometimes y- you look outside and, I don't know, I was dreaming of a white Christmas-ish. I didn't want a brown Christmas, and I'm now trying to adjust to this, like, wet green Christmas. And people are still crabby about that. Do you remember the roads last year? You have, by the way, you have 12 days to shop. You have to make room for giving. And last year, if you tried to drive down 42, oh, I don't know, by 35E or 35W, it was like a mess and there's there's snow everywhere and people are crabby. Just make room for, like, it's still, it's supposed to be wonderful, even if it's wet and green. But I see it's also the time of year where you, at least I'm told by some of you that you have bosses that want to make room for extra projects and end-of-the-year budgets. And, you know, and it's fun. And there might be a bonus, maybe, or not. And it's the time of year where people want to make room for friends and, and gifts. And they want to invite you to every party that is in the next two weeks. And, and some of you find that super fun and super festive. And others of you are like... Giving those gifts of time and money and people, it sucks the life right out of me. It's a wonderful time of the year. So maybe it's just me, but uh, I've heard from a few of you that you feel squeezed at Christmas. You feel like there's not room to really celebrate the season well. So what does it mean to make room for Christmas, and how do we get squeezed in our Christmas celebrating? You know, I've I think busyness is such a big part of the season, and traditions often are the root, some of the root cause of that. Like, traditions can be wonderful. Traditions can bring us back to our childhood. They can mentally prepare us for the season, but they can also just be one more thing to do. And, and traditions can be filled with these unspoken expectations, especially from parents or grandparents, even our friends. And, and so traditions can be this challenge and it can actually this busyness that stems from those can lead to anxiety for people can lead to disappointment for people and sometimes it can even lead to sadness for people and it's a time of year where sadness is already heightened because um, I think faith is heightened and emotions are heightened at the holidays and so psychologists have actually tracked this and found that people feel so anxious about overspending during the holidays, and they feel so much pressure about, being, about having to attend every party that they're invited to, that they actually get, like, they're called the Christmas blues. And a lot of people, a lot of people are challenged by this, especially when they've uh, attached a negative memory to it, or they've lost someone in the last year. Their, their tendency to be sad can crowd Jesus out of Christmas. And I don't want to minimize anyone's mourning. It's just a reality that we face. And in the midst of the busyness, there's also this sadness that can sweep over people. I think the one that is probably the easiest to crowd Jesus out for me, and, and really the one that 
often is the easiest to slide in is just this focus on self. I mean, Christmas is a time where, where we're the most gift-conscious of the whole year. And a lot of times that's good because gifts are ways that we can appreciate people, we can love people, we can just tell people how we feel about them, and it's, and it's through the form of a present. And, and so that's a really great thing. But being gift-conscious also means that we're conscious of the gifts we'd like for ourselves. Do you know there's this phenomenon called self-gifting that's been around for a while, and actually the stores and the retail people, the analysts and the marketing people, they want to tap this with everything they've got because they realize that for some of us, we haven't stepped into this store the whole year. And so we want to go in, we want to get the gift, we want to go out, but no, no, no. These people, they want to tap every ounce of opportunity that they have in front of them. So when they see you, they go, oh, man, if I can frame these purchases as gifts it can create an indulgent frame of mind and justify your self-splurges. How does that sound? And one retail marketing analyst says, if we can get this message right, people will come into the store and they'll be like, oh, that's a great gift for me. I, I need that. I, I want that. And actually, in the last few years, one in four gifts, actually more than one in four, 26% by some of the statistics, were holiday purchases described as self-gifts. So every four gifts you go buy for others, like one comes back to you. Wouldn't that be, I don't know, maybe that would be great, but if Christmas is such a season of giving, it seems like taking can really crowd Jesus out of Christmas. So do busyness or sadness or focus on self describe any of the ways that Jesus gets crowded out of your Christmas or is it something else for you? Just think for a moment before we jump into the story, the greatest story ever told in Luke 2, of what might crowd Jesus out of your Christmas. See, as we go to a story that maybe you've heard before, we see that there were lots of people that were not making room for Jesus at Christmas. And yet, listen to the tone of the story. I'm going to read from Eugene Peterson's translation called The Message, just in case you've heard the story so many times that you're like, you start to not listen to it. We're going to hear it in potentially a few different words. Luke 2 starts like this. That about that time, Caesar Augustus ordered a census be taken throughout the Roman Empire. It was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So everyone had to travel to his own ancestral hometown to be accounted for. So Joseph went from there, from the Galilean town of Nazareth, up to Bethlehem in Judah, David's hometown. For he was from the house and line of David. He was a descendant of David, and he had to go there. He went with Mary, his fiancée, who was pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for them to give birth, or for her to give birth, and she gave birth to a son, her firstborn. She wrapped him in a blanket, and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the hostel. See, Mary and Joseph had their own mission at Christmas time, whatever Christmas time was, when they had to go to Bethlehem. They had to register in this census, which I'm guessing that Joseph knew what that meant. The Roman Empire wanted to get a count of all the people so he could give more taxes, so they could defend their government, so they could have more soldiers, so they could have more, more better roads, and all of these great things, but that meant that they had to make room in their finances for what was going to come. That, and that would be a little bit difficult because they also needed to make room for another mouth to feed in their house. 
because they were barely married and they were going to be making room for this new baby in their lives and in their home. Now, I think that sounds stressful. More taxes, new baby, more food. What are we going to do? Am I the only one? Have you ever been around someone who has just had a, a new baby? We have a few new babies. We have a ton of new babies around here. Oh my gosh. It, when, when people have a new baby, there's this crazy thing that happens. If you've ever watched them with their new baby try to do things that they've done for years, their whole life actually, routine things like brush your teeth, get dressed, have breakfast, and all of a sudden, when, when you watch these people, it becomes absolutely hilarious because it's like they never realized that these things could be complex, arduous, grueling tasks that are super complicated, especially on Sunday mornings. I'm told, no offense, I'm just, just told. My point is, I expect the complexity and stress that you face on a Sunday morning getting ready with a new baby? Like, how do, I, how do I put the toothpaste on the toothbrush and hold the kid? And, I mean, at one point I'm like, can I just shower with this one? Which my wife said, no, they're slippery and it would be bad. <laughs> Sorry to get distracted. But I kind of expect that anxiety in the story with Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. I, I want to I wanna know how crowded the little town of Bethlehem was. Like, why couldn't they find a room? And I want to know about these people that are supposed to have this amazing hospitality. I want to know about their relatives who couldn't or wouldn't or didn't take them in. And I want to know about this stable or this cave or this place that they were. I, I don't think it was no crying he makes. I don't really think it was a silent night. And I want to know about this innkeeper or hostel manager or, or if there was one. Like, if you've ever seen the movies or the plays that have been told about Christmas. Like, is this person crotchety and a crotchety villain that likes to slam the door on them or insensitive or just clueless? Like a victim of circumstance. I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. I don't have any place to go. Those are the things that I want answered in this story, and they are not answered in the story. The writer is not concerned about that. And I think maybe why is because the writer wants to give us a very straightforward narrative. I mean, think about it. Think about what's not given to us in the story. There's no drama in the story. There's no anxiety in the story. There's no stress in the story. There's no hostility in the story. There's no anger in the story. There's no selfishness in the story. There's no commotion in the story. Can you imagine a Christmas that was not filled with those things? I mean, what would you call a Christmas that didn't have any of those things? Sure, peaceful. Some of you crazy people out there might say boring. I know my family would if they were here. No offense, Mom. I know you're listening. I'd call it spacious. Full of peace. Full of joy. Like all kinds of room for really good stuff. And I, I kind of picture this little 
bubble of peace and this bubble of hope and joy and love that is surrounding Mary and Joseph and Jesus as they're surrounded by a little town that had no room for them. Do you ever get that sense at Christmas that, that this peace that you want all of a sudden you know, you want your whole house to have peace, or you want the whole season to have peace. You want to be able to celebrate Jesus and, and the spirit of Christmas in the midst of this, and all of a sudden, it just starts getting crowded and crowded and crowded. All of a sudden, you're maybe in a little bubble where you're just holding on to this shimmer of hope, this shimmer of peace, and then it pops, and maybe you pop, and, and we realize just how fragile making room for Jesus is at Christmas. Well, I think the reason the writer gives us this very straightforward narrative that's not filled with any of those anxious things is because Mary and Joseph had already made room for Jesus way before their trip to Bethlehem. So go with me um, just one chapter back. And, and again, think about how you can make room for Jesus this Christmas. How you can make more room for Jesus this Christmas. Because I think Mary already has. It's, it's written in Luke 1. When the angel comes to her, story starts in verse 26. It says that in the six months of Elizabeth, her cousin's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. His name was Joseph, and the virgin's name was Mary. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. And if you, re- if you know the story, it's greetings favored one, but... I just love how this translation says it. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty inside and out. God be with you. She was thoroughly shaken, it said, wondering what what was behind this kind of greeting. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and you will give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the highest. The God, the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will rule Jacob's house or Jacob's descendants forever and ever. No end ever to his kingdom will it be. And Mary said to the angel, but how? I've never slept with a man. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will hover over you. And therefore the child that you will bring to birth will be called holy, the son of God. And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son, old as she is, and everyone called her barren, and here she is six months pregnant. Nothing you see is impossible with God. And Mary said, yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid. I'm his servant, ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you say. And the angel left her. I don't know how many of us would respond to a greeting like, good morning, beautiful. But that's what God would say to us. He would say, good morning, beautiful. If you can't handle as a man being called beautiful, then God might say, good morning, handsome, but I think he still thinks you're beautiful. God is with you, and he has a surprise for you. Now, Mary may not see this as a surprise, but... All we're given towards that hint is that she is thoroughly shaken or she's perplexed or she's kind of troubled. She's like, what do you mean by that? 
I know I've tried to, no. I, I've tried to give my wife that compliment. Good morning, beautiful. What do you want? We're, we're just a little, and I was, I was a little shaky about calling her out, but I think each of us is a little bit skeptical of being called beautiful, giving a compliment, because we wonder what somebody wants from us. And God wants nothing from Mary other than her to be open to a holy moment. She's got this holy openness to what God can do. And that's what her question and her response is. But how can this be? Because if I'm putting myself in this situation, God's got a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and you will give birth to a son. I think all along she's like, okay, yeah, because I'm gonna be married soon. We're engaged, which is almost like married. Joseph is preparing for our life together, but we're, it's not official yet. But in the minds of everyone in culture, it would be official. And so, yes, I'm sure that someday we'll be, we'll be pregnant because natural family planning is the only birth control method of the time. So, yeah, we'll be pregnant. No, 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 not with Joseph. With the Holy Spirit. I'd react a little bit weirded out by that. But Mary doesn't expect angels to descend upon her. She doesn't see herself as special. She would have the same reaction probably as you or I to, good morning, beautiful. What are you talking about? And yet, I think she accepts the message that God absolutely unconditionally loves her and that he is with her and will actually birth something new in her. Like, this isn't a scandal of, about her. There is some new life that is getting birthed in her. That Jesus would be the Prince of Peace who would bring peace to her, and so much peace that he would bring peace to the whole world. And she just sits in that moment and says, if this is what God wants, if he sees this as good, then I accept it willingly. Can you imagine how much room you would have at Christmas if you could accept willingly whatever God brought you? That God loves you and he wants to birth something new in you. I mean, the writer has put this episode immediately after the one about a man named Zechariah, who was a holy man who was chosen to go into the holy place in God's holy temple and also given good news that his wife, who he's been married to for years and years and prayed and prayed and prayed for son, that he would give birth to something new, that they would give birth to something new, that this would prepare the way for the Lord. And he says, how can this be? I need to be certain of this. At least that's the, the intent that the writer has with, with his question of how can I be certain? There's a skepticism to it that God might love me but he can't do the impossible in me. No, I've never really been able to identify as Mary until this week. As I read this scripture, as I prayed for us about what the Holy Spirit might want to say to us, and all of a sudden, it just became so clear. I can so identify that God loves me, but he wants to do the impossible in me? That he wants to birth something new in me? Oh, I don't know if I can, that's just for Mary. And that crowds Jesus out of Christmas for us. That you don't have to be the holy person in the holy place 
to have God's word come to you. To have him say, I love you, and I want to do the impossible in you. I want to birth something new in you. You could be just an ordinary person who probably attends church regularly and has a life somewhat planned out, but not all planned out. And God would come to you. Say, good morning, beautiful. Have I got a surprise for you? I want to birth this in you. But oh, oh, what a beautiful thing it would be if we said yes to that. And I have watched people say yes, who have never, ever seen themselves as special, and God does a beautiful, amazing things through it. Don't let the season go by. Don't, don't let the season go by crowding out the fact that Jesus loves you. That Jesus actually might want to birth something new in you this year. One of the things we're going to do the first Sunday of the new year is this new beginning Sunday where we're going to look at the story of creation and how God started everything new and how he might be putting something new in you. I want this today, right now, to be a seed in your life of just asking God, is there anything new that you are birthing in me? Now, Joseph, I think, needed to make room for Jesus too. Because if you're like me, then you're probably not 100% convinced that God loves you or at least enough for you to accept it when I say it, but if I were to come out to each one of you and ask you straight up, good morning, beautiful, do you know God loves you unconditionally, absolutely, without a doubt? Stand up in front of each person and say, yes, I do. That might get a little uncomfortable for you. I think it would have gotten a little uncomfortable uncomfortable for Joseph, especially considering he's not given one single word in the Christmas story in Matthew or in Luke. There's no words that that Joseph ever says. But yet he needed to make room. Because I think Joseph did have plans. I think he was preparing for a life, and that life did not include Mary coming to him and saying, oh, by the way, God had a surprise for me. I'm pregnant, but it's not what you think. Yeah, God's little intervention there looked like a major interruption. And Joseph had to make room for something that he had not prepared for, that he could not even fathom. The story goes like this. The birth of Jesus took place like this. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before they came to the marriage bed, Joseph discovered that she was pregnant. It was by the Holy Spirit, but he didn't know that. Joseph, I love it, chagrined but noble, determined to take care of things quietly so that Mary would not be disgraced. And while he was trying to figure a way out, he had a dream. I want you to just think about that because it's so easy to put it into this terms of uh, infidelity. But I want you to think about a dream that you have, something you've wanted to do. Maybe it's something that you've wanted to do for a long time and it really could be anything, truly. Maybe you've wanted to try out for a play, a community play, or you've wanted to take a community class, something you've never tried before, and you're just a little bit afraid to do it, but, but it's something you've always wanted to do. In fact, you might even want to do it with someone. I have a dream to go to Jerusalem. And several years ago, uh, a friend of mine moved there, an acquaintance of mine, but 
good enough to where I could be like, hey, I want to come to Jerusalem and stay with you. And he would say, yes, absolutely. And he's super knowledgeable because I want to swim in the Sea of Galilee. And I want to touch that western wailing wall that's still there. And I want to stand and gaze at the Dome of the Rock where the Temple Mount is. And I want to pray in the garden where Jesus prayed. I have had a dream a long time to go to Jerusalem to see the land that Jesus lived in. Obviously, it's emotional to me. And I've been thinking about this for a long time. So I was pretty shocked that I get this form letter that says, hey, we're moving to another country in six weeks. It's like that dream was just ripped away. I'm like, no, I was going to go with you, and now you're going over here, and, and sure, you could say, oh, I'll come visit, but it wouldn't be the same. I'd have to find a place to, to stay. It would, the, all the plans are changed. <laughs> do you ever do that at Christmas? Like, you're messing up the plans. We're, just, we're supposed to open the gifts where everyone goes in order. And there's wrapping paper everywhere, and you're like, it's not peaceful. Jesus gets crowded out of Christmas. Let's come back. Maybe you've had a dream that you want to do something, and it felt like it got ripped away. Then you can put yourself in the place of Joseph. Certainly, I don't want to minimize infidelity or an affair. That is probably what's going through Joseph's mind, and he's a decent man. He's like, okay, the ethical, moral, responsible thing to do in our time would just be to actually publicly disgrace her because we are in this shame culture, and so I'm supposed to shame her. Not too many people practice the Old Testament law of stoning, but technically they could have done that. He just wants to take care of things quietly. You know what? My dream got ruined, so I'm just going to change the dream, and you're not in it anymore. And Jesus would have been crowded out of Christmas because God had plans. He had dreams for Joseph too. And so this angel comes to him in a dream as he was trying to figure out a way out. He had a dream. God's angel spoke to him in the dream and he said, Joseph, son of David, don't hesitate to get married. Mary's pregnancy is conceived by the Holy Spirit. God's spirit has made her pregnant and she will give birth to a son, and when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus. God saves, because that's what his name will mean, because he will save the people from their sins. And this will bring the prophet's embryonic sermon to full term. Watch this, Isaiah says, a virgin will get pregnant and bear a son, and they will name him Emmanuel. In Hebrew, it means God with us. And Joseph woke up, and he did exactly what the angel commanded him in the dream. He married Mary, but he did not consummate the marriage until she had the baby, and he named him Jesus. Essentially, the angel was saying, Mary's not done anything shameful. In fact, this is a result of humanity's shame. She's not part of a scandal. This is a result of the scandal of sin that you all are a part of, that you are a part of, Joseph, too. But I am sending you a son, one from me, who will save the people from their scandal, from their separation. See yourself in the story, Joseph. Be the person that I've called you to be. Maybe he didn't say it exactly like that, but that's what Joseph had to make room for. He had to see these words of of scandal actually for him. That all of us are separated from God. 
And that's why Jesus had to come. I mean, these words of God with us, they, they go all the way back to the first Joseph. Maybe you know the story of the first Joseph. He was one of 12 brothers, the sons of Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. And Israel loved Joseph the most, gave him a fabulous coat and never made him work. And his brothers hated him for it. And they, they caused him harm. They betrayed him. They left him for dead in a pit and then to rot in a prison. And over and over in the first Joseph story, it says, but God was with him. And God was doing something in Joseph that would save the lives of many people, not just his own. And so the sons of Israel come and beg for food from the first Joseph, and he gives them food. In fact, he's been storing food where he saves not only his family, not only his family's family and God's family, but also essentially the world's family. At that time, the greatest civilization of Egypt. But Joseph had to see himself in the story. That he was with God, that God was with him, and yet, that he was a part of this scandal known as sin. That's what's going on in Joseph's story too. That he has to open himself up, that this is bigger than him, this is bigger than his plans, that God is doing something new, actually birthing something new. It just happens to be in his wife, but is going to birth something new by his role in it. And he says, okay, yes, I will. He's got this humble obedience to do what God asks him to do. I think if you want to make room for Jesus this Christmas, then You believe that God wants to save you and use you, and it will make room. Just like you can believe that God loves you and wants to birth something new in you, you can make room, you can believe that God wants to save you and use you, and your Christmas will be expanded. Jesus will fill it, and you will be able to answer that party invitation without anxiety but with peace, whether it's a yes or a no. That you'll be able to search for that gift, not with the apprehension of, will they like it? But is this given out of a pure heart? See, Joseph made room for Jesus, and though he speaks no words, it's so evident in the stories that God's peace and his wholeness and his love fills every part of his life so his time and his attitude and his leadership and his protection and his generosity are shown through the story. His actions do speak so loud. I think you have a choice this Christmas. I think I have a choice this Christmas that we do not have to be victims of the commotion of Christmas but we can just make room for Jesus. And when we do, he fills it completely, wholly, fully. What would it look like for you to be expanded this Christmas in such a way that hope and peace and love and joy dwell in your Christmas? That bubble actually, instead of getting smaller and popping, expands to fill your home, to fill your family, to fill your friends, maybe even your work, maybe even your community. 
doesn't matter if you're in a holy place or a healthy place or a hard place or at work or at school. God comes to each of us in every way to say, I love you. To say, I want to use you. Say, I'm going to save you. So you can make room for him. You can believe those things. And Colossians says, when we do this, Jesus becomes the supreme in the beginning, leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy is he, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Isn't that beautiful? Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his life, his death, that is his blood poured out and poured down from the cross. Take that verse. Have it fill your mind this week. Say yes to Jesus. Let him fill every area of her life. You ever placed your finger in a newborn baby's or relatively newborn baby's hand and watched those five little fingers grasp your, grasp your finger as, it, as the baby sits and tugs on your finger, you realize that that your heart is gone, that it is tugging at your heart and you are lost. doesn't even matter if it's your kid. doesn't even really matter if you, you know the child. It's all of a sudden you know. What Christmas love came down in the form of a little baby reaching out his or her hand, reaching for your finger. See, love came down and reached his tiny little fingers around your heart to pull you back to God so that your heart would be full of him this Christmas. Will you pray with me? God, I pray that this message about Jesus would dwell in our hearts, God, that it would sit here, that we would see you, yes, as supreme and holy and finding every beginning and every end, and yet tiny, adorable, with no pretense, with no anger, with no sadness. That, that God, that we really would have a silent night because it is full of peace. That we would see love came down in such a tiny little package that it would be actually easy for us to make room for you. And as we turn more and more of our lives over to you, by letting you be Lord of our life, by admitting that we need a Savior for our sins, that you would birth something new in us, God. Give us the expectancy. Holy Spirit, speak to us right now about what you want to birth that's new in us to work through us, to use us, because you love us. Help us to listen. Amen.